0: Barriers to trade for micro, small, and medium-sized enterprises are many, from a lack of information to limited resources and financing to drive businesses forward. But how about when the barrier is one of cognition, a perception that a business from a certain place is not skilled enough or even capable of developing cutting-edge technologies to solve some of the more complex challenges in business? Hello and welcome to Let's Talk Trade, a podcast by the World Trade Organization. I'm Kimonique Powell, a young professional here at the WTO and your host in this Overcoming Obstacles to Trade series. In this episode, we speak to Alban Sanchez, an IT entrepreneur from Costa Rica, who will be discussing cognitive bias as a barrier to trade. Alban is the co-founder and CEO of Lantern Technologies, currently trading as Link America Labs, a hardware and software development company specializing in service delivery through cutting-edge technologies like Internet of Things. Artificial intelligence and machine learning. So let's talk trade. Alban is joined by Antonia Carzanigo of the Trading Services Division here at the WTO, who will further add color and context to the discussion. Quick introduction Alban, please tell us who you are and what you do.
1: My name is Alban Sanchez. I'm the co-founder of Lanter Technologies, uh, recently acquired by Link America Labs. I founded a company based in Costa Rica eight years ago with the purpose of developing research and development services in high-end technologies like Internet of Things in a market that is basically B2B. So that's what I, what I am.
2: Antonia? Thank you for having me. My name is Antonia Carzaniga. I work in the Trading Services Division of the WTO Secretariat. Happy to be here and to hear what Alban has to say.
0: Alban, you mentioned in the introduction that Lantern Technology is a B2B operations, which is short for business to business, and is basically a type of operation where transactions are conducted between one business and another, such as a wholesaler and a retailer. This tells me that from the start, your business was geared towards export. Can you tell us what influenced this strategic decision?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. To explain that better, I will have to refer to my previous experience in life. I mean, in my previous life, I used to work for the Trade Promotion Agency of Costa Rica, which is Procomer. I get used to attract businesses from overseas to our country. And to establish operations in Costa Rica, and as you might know, Costa Rica have been very successful in attracting high-end technology companies into our market. But I, during the last five years of my career in ProCommerce, I realized that I was attracting a lot of companies, but we were not able to develop our own companies in Costa Rica to be successful in that area. And these companies, this international company, they are using the same talent, the same people, and the same skills. And then it was a bold decision for my side to quit my job, get rid of my status, stable life and start an entrepreneurship with this company is called Lantern. So I decided to found a company that was in the area of Internet of Things because that was at that time an area that was growing and growing and growing in opportunities in the market. Our main purpose at the beginning was to kind of invert the equation of, instead of just attracting businesses to Costa Rica, to create our own company in Costa Rica, that I'm not being an importer of technologies, but i can an exporter of these type of technologies.
0: You also mentioned that you specialize in Internet of Things or IoT. Can you tell us what that is?
1: Internet of Things is basically a technology that it enables the communication between objects, through internet and to the meaningful data uh, about these objects. You can divide, uh, you can split the of things in two different big branches. One is the consumer electronics and that type of application that people use at home or with their cars or that type of things. But the one that we are focused on is on the branch of the business uh, uh, type of uh, internal things. So we do that with uh, develop solutions to monitor and to enable higher efficiencies in, for instance, manufacturing companies or agricultural companies.
0: Another interesting point that you mentioned was that Costa Rica is known for importing technology and you wanted it to become an exporter. So having worked in the field of international trade, you saw a need, and you went out and you meet that need. So, and I wanted to piggyback on that and then to ask you, having recognized that you had a credible product, you tested it in the Costa Rican market, was it smooth sailing from here or did you encounter any sort of challenges in exporting globally?
1: We face a lot of challenges along the road. So, I mean, we use Costa Rica as talent. Hop because we knew that all these multinational companies were coming to Costa Rica because of the talent of the people that we have here. But in terms of the market, we also knew that Costa Rica were, was not big enough to sustain a uh, research and development uh, type of activity. So uh, we started using Costa Rica as a pilot type of market, but then rapidly started uh, efforts to sell overseas because you need to have a significant projects and revenue out of higher volume markets. So we, that's why we started traveling to United States, mainly Mexico and South America as well.
0: When you went to these trade fairs in North America to promote the business, was it easily digestible? Did they take it that a Costa Rican company is trying to sell us IT and we are the United States? Was it easy for them to accept the fact that this is made in Costa Rica?
1: That wasn't easy at all. That was extremely hard. There are many different barriers, but one of the main things, you know the perception bias that you might have as a sourcing technology for a Costa Rican company. that was to me one realization that I had when I started traveling abroad, and that's one funny story. I visited uh, Canada once in a trade mission. I was there back in two thousand and sixteen. And all the Canadians, they were very polite. They were saying that the product was very good and great, and that I love what you're doing. But then suddenly, one guy that passed by my stand, he was very honest. And he said to me, hey, let me tell you something. I would probably will be able to sell it to my channels. But I cannot sell a product that it says here that is made in the, in Costa Rica. At least that is not represented in North America or in a developed market. It was a very tough feedback for me. At, at this point, because you kind of fall in love with your product sometimes. and We knew that we had the products, we knew that we had the people, we knew that we had the everything. But this barrier is a non-physical barrier, it's a non-legal barrier, it's a, a cognitive barrier for entering into into these markets, especially when you are talking about services.
0: Alban, I want you to hold that thought. I'm going to ask you how you dealt with the barrier, but I wanted to bring in our expert, Antonia. So, Antonio, we just heard a very interesting story from Alban. He noted that the barrier that he faces is one of cognition rather than a physical or a legal barrier. Is cognitive barrier a common issue faced by businesses in international trade?
2: In the WTO, we don't necessarily have sufficient on the ground, first hand experience uh, to give a definitive answer. However, I think probably cognitive barriers may be more frequent when it comes to trading services. The reason is that services are generally intangible, and so the only way to ascertain their quality is to actually consume them. It is not really possible to test or inspect them before consumption takes place. So this, in turn, implies that the expertise, the competence, and the qualifications of the service provider. Um, really are the key determinants of the quality of the service that is being supplied. And these are also the factors that tend to guide consumers in their choice of which services they're going to buy. So if you just think of having a haircut, unless, you know, the hairdresser knows his or her trade, you may end up with really a disastrous cut or disastrous color. So you really kind of tend to go to a hairdresser that gives you confidence and you're assured of the quality of the service that they supply. So I guess probably these places are higher sort of premium on brand recognition um, when it comes to services than maybe when you're trading goods.
0: I think you've touched on a very
2: interesting
0: uh, conversation pertaining to services trade. But before I ask that you going further, telling us what is services trade and then how Alban's business fit into the whole model of services trade. Alban, I wanted to get back to the point that you were mentioning. How exactly did you deal with this perception bias? Having heard from the Canadian uh, company that if you were branding it as Canada or you're branding it as the U.S., that you'd be selling more.
1: In my specific uh, case, individually, I took a series of steps towards getting investment from United States companies. We ended up being merged with an American company. So we still have the operation. I'm still the CEO of Lantern Costa Rica. But the methods that we have used for dealing with this bias is to present ourselves as the American company. That changes the equation. That changes completely. You have to be local to play local. We are now perceived as an American company that happened to have a near operation in Costa Rica. It's the same thing. It's the same people that needs, obviously, a significant investment because I have to be in this market half of the month. And half of the month I have to be in Costa Rica. Obviously, we have operations. We have salespeople in the United States as well. This is an important that all the trade promotion agencies take seriously because if you are selling things that are hard to swallow for certain markets it's a matter of enhancing and promoting your country brand as a with, with new type of things i have in my mind in my cognitive mind that a luxury watch is coming from switzerland that's a country brand Thing. So Costa Rica has been evolving and evolving its country brand, working in the markets not only to position ourselves as a tourism destination and a green type of destination and a food exporter, but also a technology exporter. We have a long of way to to go in that direction to overcome these obstacles that are not not tangible, right?
0: Thank you, Alban. I particularly like this input because not only did you say to us that you had to merge with uh, Link America Labs, but you're also saying that it is the responsibility of the trade promotion agencies to weigh in, to rebrand uh the country as not just the destination for one particular service or one particular product, but to say that we are also involved in this new area. And of course, digitally delivered services, a growing um, area of trade. It is very important. I'm going to ask Antonia specifically to weigh in on this. Since the pandemic, uh, this specific area of trade has grown in importance. Can you shed some light on this and tell us what it means for companies like Lantern
2: Technologies? Sure. WTO statistics show that digitally delivered services has been by far the fastest growing component of international trade. Global exports of digitally delivered services actually recorded a fourfold increase since 2005. And they've been rising at over 8% on average per year between 2005 and 2022, the latest uh, year for which we have these statistics. And just to offer a comparison, over the same period of time, trading goods grew by 5.6% and other services by th- 4%. So digitally delivered services have grown much faster than those. This was actually turbocharged by the COVID-19 pandemic when the ability to trade services remotely without physical interaction actually was essential to a lot of economic activity continuing and to the resilience of trade and, and many economies. And I think one other factor that's interesting to note is that although developed countries currently take the lion's share of this this particular trade, several developing countries are experiencing fast growth as well. Asia's exports um, have grown fastest, but also Central and South America and the Caribbean are regions that have experienced an acceleration in export growth in these digitally delivered services. So Alban's story really fits this wider trend that we have been observing in international trade.
0: Now, Alban, uh, back to you. How has the business changed since merging with Link America Labs?
1: We are Lantern Costa Rica doing business as DBA Link America Labs nowadays in the U.S. and in Costa Rica as well. It looks like a merge or acquisition, but uh, legally it's not because I still own my own company. I still run it and I still have decision uh, power on, the, on it. Link America... As a United States company. He, they do a lot of telecommunications, technology deployment, installations, and all that type of things on the field. They also have a large support center in Costa Rica and Colombia as well. And from here, they care of all the support 24 by 7 to all the systems that they have deployed along the years. So when, when we uh, kind of merge with them and we Combine at the strength of both companies, we put together the strengths of the development team into developing solutions and the strengths of this company on supporting these solutions in the long run.
0: Alban, just to play devil's advocate, besides the resources and the infrastructure that you have access to, has the product been diluted in any way since the merger? Do you have to change something that you were used to doing when it was indigenously uh, Costa Rican or do you have to do some things the American way now?
1: There is obviously a little bit of pride in what we do, but uh, at the end of the day, it still is made in Costa Rica. We know that. At the end of the day, the customers know that it is made in Costa Rica, but it's not the front end. They realize that after a series of commercial meetings that we have with them, but they deal with the Americans. I mean, we have people that are there, that are local, that are native speakers, and they do their businesses as they are used to. And once they got a significant progress in the opportunity, they pass it to us. And I I am there just as a back end. Nobody has to know that I'm the owner of the company who executes the the systems or the solutions. And I don't care, honestly. (laughs) It's just a matter of being pragmatic and to know that the greater good is to make the business going to fruition.
0: Thank you, Alban. A lot of interesting points were raised, but specifically, I wanted to pick up on uh, presence in the local market. So initially, your business model that you described was pretty much summing up what we're calling uh, WTO mode one or cross-border services supply. But what you're describing is the need for commercial presence. I wanted Antonia to come in and tell us about the different modes of services supply. And then how does this specific case kind of help us to contextualize services trade as a whole?
2: I think it's great hearing Alban's story because it really illustrates what trading services is all about. When people think about trade, they tend to think about physical objects crossing borders. But as I said earlier, services are generally intangible and therefore that makes it hard to visualize what it is that we're talking about when we're talking about trading services. But Alban's experience sort of makes it very concrete as he was saying and as you were saying, his initial strategy was to export from Costa Rica directly into the US market and that is what we call cross-border trade, the first mode of supply, the first way of uh, of trading services. And in Alban's case and in, in many other instances, this is done really over the internet where the service is crossing the border remotely. However, services sometimes can only be provided when the consumer and the supplier are physically present in the same location. And again, just imagine getting, a don't know, physiotherapy treatment remotely that just cannot happen. Therefore, we have other what we call modes of supply, as you were saying earlier, other ways through which services may be traded internationally. So for instance, we have mode two, which refers to situations when it's the consumer that is actually consuming services abroad, like in the case of international tourism. And then you were mentioning mode three, which is commercial presence, which is by far the most common way through which services are actually traded, which is when a service supplier establishes a presence, a commercial business operation in a foreign market to supply the local market. Think about a foreign bank establishing a local branch. And then finally, um, something that also Alban referred to in terms of talent, we have mode four or presence of natural persons, which covers situation when business persons move abroad temporarily to provide their services. For example, think about a foreign singer coming to your market to to give a concert. So all these modes of supplying services constitute and make up what we call trading services.
0: Antonia, what is the WTO doing or what can the WTO do to create the right environment for businesses to
2: trade digitally delivered services? I think focusing on services trade, the WTO agreement on services trade sort of sets up a a rule-based, transparent and predictable environment in which services firms of all sizes really can operate and, and trade. It offers also WTO member economies the possibility of locking in existing trading conditions and of guaranteeing market access for digitally delivered services. That way, it protects against economically costly policy reversals. And then finally, I think the WTO provides a forum for monitoring, for benchmarking and sharing knowledge and experience on services trade policy that can benefit all services traders. Well put.
0: So, Alban, I wanted to close and ask you this question. Has the perception changed in terms of how your clients now view your business operation in Costa Rica more generally?
1: I have been in a lot, but hundreds of meetings as a back-end you know, support for the sales staff. And when they realize that I'm based in Costa Rica and the developers are based in Costa Rica, it's usually at the end of the meeting, they say, Always, always, but always—not none, even one time—they—they—they they, they said oh, the opposite. They said, "Oh, what a beautiful country! I—I I was there for the last two months. I was there for and the monkeys and the mountains and the volcanoes and everything." That's in their mindset, and they know Costa Rica very well. And this is a very good way to end the presentation. For us, it has been a blessing. It has transformed something that was bad into a blessing, but just aligning things in the sequential order that we needed. And actually, the people loved it. This month and the next month, I have been visited visitors from the U.S. that we knocked the doors to them, we got some meetings with them, and then they realized that we were in Costa Rica. And they now they really want to come because they come here and they go golfing and they go uh, on the weekend, they go tourism and do things with their wife and, or whatever they want to do. And this is great. I mean, it's, it's a good excuse for them to visit.
0: Alban, any parting words?
1: For all of the companies that are willing to to export and to do trading services into whatever market they want, I think the most important thing is to act like a local uh, in this market. So that's least uh, my experience.
0: And on that note, we bring this discussion to a close. Thank you, Alban, and thank you, Antonia, for a an very interesting episode.
2: Thank you for having us. Thank you.
0: So this was our deep dive into the world of services, IT services to be precise. Services are the fastest growing segment of international trade. They offer huge opportunities for small and medium-sized businesses, for small countries with a trained labor force, and for emerging markets and developing economies. You heard it from Alban, despite Costa Rica being integrated into the global IT markets and exporting high-end products and services in information technology, he was still faced with bias stereotypes, and outdated perception about his home country, and by extension, his business. In the next episode, you'll hear about an entirely different obstacle that can hit your business without power warning, natural disasters. We will take you on a trip to the Kingdom of Tonga, a small archipelago in the Southern Pacific, where Minuru Nish's family set up an agriculture export business that only recently had to deal simultaneously with rising sea levels, droughts and a powerful volcanic eruption. Stay tuned to Let's Stock Trade to learn more about how he's dealing with this situation.